recently I did something that I have not done in quite some time. Went to the gym. <laughs> so I've been, a, I've been a pretty much of a lazy bum when it comes to exercising for many years now. So I decided to do something about it. By no means was it a New Year's resolution. By no means. Because I would just be doomed to failure. So it was not a resolution. But it got me thinking about how gyms work and how they make their money. So I did a little research. And as you can probably expect, most people join a gym in the month of January. Gyms experience a 30 to 50% spike in the month of January. By April, though, for most of those newcomers, their gym membership cards are mocking them from their wallets. Gyms rely on that fact, however, that most people will not go. The big clubs need about 10 times as many members as they can handle just to turn their profits. And they're banking on the fact that you won't come. They just care that you pay the monthly dues. And gyms, if you've noticed, they, they don't place any demands on you that you do not have to attend, you do not have to work out, you do not have to lose weight. Nothing in your contract states that you have to make some sort of progress. In fact, they'd much rather have you sign up, pay, and then never come back. And these days, just about every store wants you to join them. Nearly every store has these club cards or these reward cards like, like Vons, Office Depot, Ace Hardware. If you join up, you shop with them, you get rewarded. And who doesn't want that? Although you can surely get what you want somewhere else. They're hoping that the promise of rewards will keep you coming back to their store. Again, these stores place no real demands on you. You just get rewarded when you participate. In addition to gyms and stores, there are countless other organizations that want you to join them. And some of these people join just because they feel bad otherwise. Take, for example, the PTA, the Parent-Teacher Association. Pretend you have a kid in school. All the other, all the other parents are joining the PTA, so what are you going to do? Well, you don't care about your kid. You don't like children. So you join. You, you feel like you have to out of guilt, but you aim to participate as little as possible. I wonder how many people join organizations for reasons like that. It also gets me wondering, is this what it's like to be a part of a church? You might think so based on how some people treat church involvement. Some people think of church like the gym membership. You know, as long as they pay their dues, put in a little bit of money in the back, uh, they're good to go. I mean, what more could God really want for them? And what more does the church really need? I mean, look, you can't complain. I'm, I'm showing up. I'm giving money. That's all I have to do, right? Others think of church like a rewards card. I don't really have to go to church, but when I do, I get rewarded. I get reward points from God. So if I go at least once a month or so, then I'm good to go. As long as I get something out of it, I'll go. I'll attend. Some vague concept of rewards keeps them coming back. And then some think of church like, like the PTA. Well, I guess I better join, otherwise I'm going to feel pretty guilty. I don't really want to go to church, but you know, life is full of things that you don't want to do, but you have to do. So I guess I'll add church to that list. I'll, I'll show up, but don't expect me to get involved. And so it goes for many people in the church today. Do any of these depictions describe you? Do you find yourself here this morning for these reasons? What does it mean to be a part of a local church? I can tell you all of the above approaches are wrong. I hope that is no surprise to you. Why are they wrong, though? What makes them wrong? Simply that all of these approaches are driven by the self. They are self-concerned, self-motivated. They are selfish. 
These people are approaching church as if it's all about them. Church is simply a way for them to feel rewarded, for them to feel less guilty. They meet some sort of need in their life, or it's a badge of honor, a status symbol. It's making them look good before others. Because of this, such people have a very minimalist approach to church. They only need to put in what they want to get back out. You know, look, I'll show up, I'll, I'll sit in the back, I'll even put in a little bit of money, but that's really it. I mean, what, what, what more would I do? What's it going to do for me? Of course, this is not what being a part of a local church is about. It's not about you. It's about God and others. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give to it. And it's not about showing up and being served. It's about showing up to serve others and to serve the Lord. As Christ himself said, Mark 10:45, he did not come to be served. Christ himself came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we're just following his footsteps. Well, where am I going with this? Well, this morning we have a special service plan where we will be accepting several new members, new people into our fold, and we're excited for that. Some of these newcomers are infants, and they obviously didn't choose to be here. Lord willing, one day they will. But we're nonetheless very excited to welcome these precious new lives into our midst. In addition to that, we will be extending the right hand of fellowship to several new members, and these have thankfully chosen to be here, I hope, right? You guys weren't coerced. And we're happy to have them with us as well. But because we have so much going on later in the service, we've got a shorter time for the sermon, and there's already this focus of welcoming people into our fold, I figure I'd give a special message today just on the local church itself. In particular, as we've already seen, I, I want to address this question, what, what, does it, what does it really mean? What does it mean to be a, a part of a local church? Some of you would, would surely say you're a part of this church. And for, for the rest of you, surely you, you've been a part of many churches over your years, I, I'd imagine, for, for most of you. What does that really mean, though? Or what should it mean to be a part of a church, a local church? You know, it's such an important question. Normally we don't have time to address, but this morning we're going to make time. What does it mean to be a part of a local church? Or put another way, what, what does that require of you? What, what does God expect of you? What responsibilities do you have? If being a part of a church is not like a gym membership, then what's it like? What's it supposed to be like? Today we're going to find out. For the sake of time, I'm not going to labor the fact that God wants you to be a part of a local church. I hope you already know that. I hope that's a given. Now, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Someone who's content to you know, be vaguely a part of the universal church, but they never commit to a single local church. That's just completely unbiblical. The Bible doesn't even understand that concept. You can't even function as God wants you to outside of the context of a local church. God wants you to plug in, get invested in a local church, which is just a local gathering of believers in an area, to get invested in that and then focus on serving him and representing him to your area. So that being the case, it, hopefully you know that God wants you to commit to a local assembly. What next? What happens, what happens next? What does God expect of you next? And with the rest of our time this morning, we're, we're going to find out. What does it mean to be a part of a local church? Or better yet, what does God expect of you in relation to your local church? 
And to answer, answer this question, I want to give you six expectations of local church commitment. Simply that, six expectations of local church commitment. Not my expectations, not this church's expectations. What does the Bible expect? What does God through scripture expect of you when it comes to being a part of a church? These are six functions or six roles that you should be filling in your church. Now, trust, for many of you, this will be a profitable reminder. But for others, I hope this challenges you to think about how you relate to your church. And with that, let's get this started. Six expectations. The first, number one, is this, to be participating. The first thing that God expects of you is to be participating. Now, I'm going to explain that, of course. But I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 to get us started. Turn your, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The author of Hebrews writing to mostly Jewish Christians. And here he's going to address a problem that was uh, particular amongst some of these Jewish Christians back then. Hebrews 10. I'll start reading at verse 24. He's getting to a practical section of the letter, and he says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, back then, even in the early church, some people were leaving the assembly, the the gathering of the saints. They were forsaking the assembly. This word forsaking means simply to abandon, to desert, to leave behind. And that's what some people were doing to the church. They just stopped coming around. For some, this became a habit, as he mentions. For others, it was surely just occasional. But either way, their absence from the assembly proved a problem. And what's the problem? Well, there are many, but one he mentions here is this. I mean, look, if you're not around... You're not, you're not going to even be able to, verse 23, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. If you don't even show up, you have no chance of encouraging one another. In fact, you'll most likely just discourage others. See, that's one of the main points of the church with what God is doing, this thing we call the church, this body of believers. God has called us together into one body so that we can get deeply invested in the lives of one another helping one another pursue Christ more, all of which is glorifying to the Lord. And for that to happen, though, of course, attendance is required, but it's so much more than mere attendance. It's not just attendance. It's participation. Countless people attend church every week, but their hearts, they're somewhere else. They check off weekly church attendance. Yeah, I went to church this week. But God is not concerned with you merely warming the pew cushions. He expects your participation, and this gets at the heart of the issue. Do you even desire to be a part of God's church? Do you even want to be here? Do you want to be a part of what God is doing? For some of you, this is a problem area. Maybe, first, you have an issue with basic attendance. Like we said, if you're not even around, you have no chance of doing what God wants, of what he expects from you. 
So what excuses are you making every week? What keeps coming up that is so much more important to you, who claim to be a Christian, right, than gathering with the saints? So what, what keeps coming up? It's not like we meet at different times, different days throughout the week. So, so what is it? What else are you prioritizing? And sure, things come up here and there. That's fine. But the question is, where is your heart? And then where are where is your habits? In addition, maybe maybe you attend, but do you participate? It doesn't mean you have to preach or teach or usher or do something all official. It just means, are you getting invested and involved in the lives of others? We'll see this more as we go along, but if you find yourself coming late, leaving early, and never making an impact in the lives of others, you are falling short of what God expects of you when it comes to the church. And look, this is not a guilt trip. It's just a check on the status of your own heart. And you do it, not, not me. You have to do it yourself. You examine your own heart and ask yourself these questions. Are you being driven here by a love for the Lord? You need to come to love what he loves. And Jesus loves the church. He loves the saints. He wants to be with the saints for all eternity. So what does that say about a person who doesn't want that? They really hate going to church. They they don't like really gathering with the saints. What does that say about them? You need to love what he loves and he loves the church. We're not concerned with merely filling the pews here. We want to see your heart in the right place. So consider what drives you. For now, this is the first expectation of local church commitment. Not not just showing up, but to be participating in what God is doing here. Let's move on. Number two, the second expectation of your local church commitment. The second is to be serving. To be serving. Now, for for the past four sermons, we've been talking about serving one another with your spiritual gifts. For, so for those of you who've been around, I trust enough to labor this point for very long. Hopefully you already know that God wants you and expects you to be serving one another with your spiritual gifts. The church is not a place where I go to to get my felt needs met. Yet some people have that mentality. They have this very consumeristic approach to church. I'm going to go so I get what I want out of it. If I'm going to show up, I better get some music I like. Sermon better be entertaining. It better not go too long. And you better not make me do anything. (laughs) And when such when such people no longer get what they want, they they leave. Why wouldn't they? They're on to to new place to get what they want. That's the exact opposite of God's intention for the church. God wants us instead serving others. Don't be thinking like a consumer, be thinking like a provider. How can I serve? one another here. We've already seen many passages on this over the past month. I just want to remind you of one that is very appropriate. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go backwards to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll just look at one briefly. Like I said, we've already spent a lot of time on this. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 11. As you already know, this is in the context of spiritual gifts. Verse 7, mentioning the gifts that Christ gives. And we'll start at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And he, Christ, gave some as apostles, 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And by way of review, what, what did we learn from this passage? Ministry is not just for the pastor. Ministry is for all of the saints. He says, for example, God gave some as pastors. Why? To equip the saints. That's you. Why would God want to do that? Why would God want to equip the saints? He says, for the work of service. So that you could do the ministry. Ministry is not just for the leaders. It's for all of you, the work of service. To what end? To the building up of the body of Christ. And that's our ultimate goal shared by all of us, that we all would grow more into the image of Christ, that we would reach that spiritual maturity with our Christian lives. That can't happen unless every individual member is serving and doing their part. And that's his whole point. That's what he says down in verse 16. He says, you're all different members of this body. And it takes the proper operation of all these individual parts for the body as a whole to, to function and to grow and to thrive. Let's picture a car engine, a running car engine. And now remove one part. Is it going to work? Well, maybe, depending on the part. But that doesn't sound like a good idea. Now remove three parts. Like, well, that's getting a little crazy. The chances are it's not going to run. If it does, it's not going to run well. Now remove ten parts. That's it. There's no way that engine is running. It's just not going to work. You see, it's just one engine, but it depends on all these individual parts doing their individual jobs to function properly. And it's the same with the church. You are the individual part. You have your job. You have your spiritual gift, like we've been talking about. And God expects you to be serving, to be functioning as a part of the body. So what's your priority? Is it to serve yourself or to serve others so that the whole body can function and can grow? God has designed the church this way because he's pleased by this. So will you will you do this? Will you be pleasing to him in this manner? What does it mean to be a part of a local body? Secondly now, it means to be serving. I trust you know this well by now. It means to be serving one another. Number three, the third expectation God has for you, to be giving. To be giving. Very much related to serving, being part of a local church means giving. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about everything. God wants you to be giving of your time, your energy, your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom. He wants you just to be giving of yourself to him and to others. So in general, are you a giver or a taker? Like Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And God loves those who give cheerfully of themselves. He blesses those who do so. Is that you? Do you just give? Now you're probably wondering about money, though. Does that mean I don't have to give any money? Now let me just say this. If that's your question, then you've got things wrong already. 
God does not want your money. Does God want you to give? Yes, God wants you to give. But you know what he really wants? He wants you to want to give to him. Because he's not after your money. He's after your heart. And for those who truly love him and know him, that they want to give out of just the overflow of their heart, out of a thankfulness and a gratitude for what the Lord has done for them, that they want to give for the right reasons. That's what pleases God, not just dropping a few dollars in the plate. He doesn't care. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must do, just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the context of giving, not under compulsion. No one's making you, just if you want, because you love the Lord. If you come here and you give because you feel like you have to, then just just keep your money and get your heart right with God. If you're not driven to give out of a worship and a thankfulness and a love, then your giving is a dead act and it profits you nothing. We have a great example of godly giving in Exodus. You don't have to turn there. I'll just summarize for you. In chapter 25, God told Israel to raise a contribution for the construction of the tabernacle. But it was not a command. In the midst of all these other commands, this was not a command. Chapter 25, verse 2, God said, From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. See, God was through Moses collecting the materials needed to build the tabernacle, but he didn't want people, he didn't want to force people. He said, if you so desire, you can give to this work of the tabernacle. So what happened? Well, this is right after the exodus. And the people were still in awe of what God had done. And, and they were thankful because God had just redeemed them from slavery and rescued them from Egypt. And they were in awe of his works. And out of gratitude, they wanted to give back to God in some way. The gold and silver they had wasn't even theirs. I mean, they just took it from the Egyptians. And so they gave. They, they came in numbers, bringing their free will offerings to the Lord. And they gave so much that Moses had to turn them away. He's like, we've got too much. Thank you, but no thanks. We're, we're done. They overwhelmingly gave to the Lord because they wanted to. This is how you should give today. It's not a work. It doesn't earn you any favor with God. But when you realize how he delivered you from spiritual slavery and redeemed you you should want to give back not to earn anything but just to express your love and, and there's many ways to do that sure one of them is giving to the church and the new testament has a lot to say about that it's a good thing when you give to your local church it enables a lot of greater ministry to take place and, and that's great but what god cares about most when it comes to the church is that your heart is in the right place And if it is, then you're going to get down this third expectation to be giving. You're going to do that one way or another. It doesn't matter. You're just going to be a giver. That's what God wants. You'll be giving to him, giving to others. That's our third expectation when it comes to your local church commitment. Number four, God expects you to be caring. God expects you to be caring. You can probably see how interrelated these all are, but there are several commands that just fit best under their own heading. And that is God expects you to be caring. Specifically, I have in mind all those one another commands in the Bible. In the Bible, we find 
so many instructions for how we should relate to God, how we should live before him. But there's also several other instructions for how we should relate to one another. All these one another commands in scripture. And what does God expect? We'll just look at some of these. I think you're still in Ephesians, so just look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, and catch this, showing tolerance for one another in love. Look down at the last verse of the chapter, chapter 4, verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 21. He says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Or if you want, you can turn back to Romans chapter 12. I'll read a few more for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another. In brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also has accepted us. There's so many more. The New Testament, really all of Scripture, is just littered with these one another commands, how we should relate to one another. And in essence, what's the message? God just wants you to be to be loving or to be caring for one another. That's, that's what we're all about, just caring for others. And this is central to what it means to be a part of a local church. If you're not caring for others at your church, are you really a part of it? Once again, if I can just reiterate this, notice how all of these one another's just fly in the face of that Lone Ranger Christian concept. Sure, you can sit at home on Sundays and watch a sermon on TV, but you are totally detached from all of these things that God expects you to be doing regularly. You have no chance of getting invested in the lives of others, caring for them, allowing them to care for you if you're just sitting at home, never attached to your local church. You're just cut off. And this is patently unbiblical that like I said before, the, the Bible doesn't even understand this concept of the person that just floats without belonging to a local assembly. It doesn't exist. Instead, get church right. Understand what God expects. And number four, he expects you to be caring for others all the time. So embrace that wholeheartedly and, and take that and run with it. To be caring. Moving on now, number five. There are six total, so we're almost there. Number five, to be reproving. God expects you to be reproving. I'll explain what I mean by that. Here's an expectation that God has of you, of which you might not be aware. But when it comes to your commitment to the local church, God expects you to be reproving. And then what does that mean? To reprove someone means to show them their fault. When you reprove someone, it means you're exposing their own sins to them. You are showing someone their sin, but then also hopefully helping them turn away from it. 
To reprove is to correct. And this is something God expects you to do in the church. Say, for example, you know a fellow believer who always has these outbursts of anger. Whenever you see him at church, he or she is just getting angry at people, snapping. You know that such outbursts of anger are sin, Galatians 5.20. When you see it happen, you think to yourself, wow, I better go tell the pastor about that. But that would be wrong. At least at first, God does not want you to go run. Tell someone, what does he want you to do? Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, you go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Or Luke 17, verse 3. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, you rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And like we learned before, ministry is not just for the pastor. It's for everyone. And guess what? This work of reproving others is also not just for the pastor. It's for everyone. This is such an essential process because God wants his church to be pure. So imagine you're engaged to be married. Would you be okay if your fiancé went around and started dating other people? No way. I mean, you want your spouse to be pure and devoted to you only. And it's the exact same way with God and the church. The church is pictured as Christ's bride, and he wants us pure, free from sin, devoted to him alone, not going off into sin. And so when we reprove one another as God instructs, it, it's not out of a hatred or a pride or a strife. It's out of a love for the Lord, for the church, for the other person. It's a desire, concern for them. You really want their best, and their best is never found in sin. It's found in following the Lord. And so you turn them. You help turn them from their error. This is why true believers in the church invite reproof upon themselves. They desperately want the accountability and the protection that the church provides. For myself, I desperately want to root out all the sin in my life, and I love it when people graciously help me with that. It's such a good thing. Of course, such reproving must always be done in love and with a gentleness, Galatians 6.1. But nonetheless, God expects all of us to pursue purity in the church like this both in our own lives and then humbly and graciously in the lives of others. It's something we need to be doing when it comes up to be reproving. One more here before we're done. The sixth expectation that God has for you in in relation to your local church commitment is to be submitting. To be submitting. This list of expectations that we've been going through is not comprehensive, there are more, but I wanted to include this one because it's so important and it's so countercultural to our world today. But it's true. God expects you to be submitting to your leaders in the church. And let me show you firsthand Hebrews chapter 13. Turn there. Last verse here. Hebrews chapter 13. Like I said here earlier, we were in Hebrews. You get to the end of the letter, especially chapter 13. It's all these very practical instructions based on everything he he said in the letter. One verse in particular, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Just read this with me. He says, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Today, our society hates submission and hates authority. Our world today has rejected authority and morality because they have rejected the authority figure and moral standard, God himself. We are now in a postmodern age where people are their own gods. They do what they want to do. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. And you better not impose upon them. We live in a me-first generation where the self rules, personal freedom is paramount, and the restraints of the law are just unheard of. If you want to see how pervasive this new ideology is, just look at the selling points of our culture. Just by way of illustration, Timothy Whitmer in his book, The Shepherd Leader, gives some good and slightly humorous examples of just how pervasive this is in our culture. He says, for example, Nike. Their slogan is, just do it. In other words, don't think about it. Don't let anything stand in your way. Just do it. Burger King slogan. Sometimes you just got to break the rules. Bacardi. Their slogan is, some people embrace the night because the rules of the day do not apply. Easy Spirit Shoes have latched onto this theme, promising a shoe that humorously conforms to your foot so that you don't have to conform to anything. Ralph Lauren Safari celebrates living without boundaries. Even reliable Merrill Lynch declares that your world should know no boundaries. And Neiman Marcus encourages its customers to relax because it says there are, quote, no rules here. Of course, that doesn't mean you can walk into the store and just take what you want. But still, you know, no rules, right? As you can guess, when people today hear something like Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, they hate that. I mean, no rules. Why would I submit to someone else? But the fact of the matter is that God has called and qualified and gifted certain men to shepherd the flock. Of course, Christ is the chief shepherd, but God uses under-shepherds. And these are the elders and pastors of the church. And you need to listen to them. And as verse 17 says, this is for your benefit and your profit. Because these shepherds, they're not trying to take advantage of you. They're not trying to scam you or rob you or harm you. They're trying to keep watch over your souls. And it's so valuable. I want someone keeping watch over my soul. Of course, this is no small thing. That's why it's so important to have godly and qualified leaders. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. That is so important. But to those who are qualified by God, he says, listen to them. First, make sure you are at a church that has godly leaders, but then realize God has placed these men in your lives for a purpose. It's a good purpose, and so listen to them. Respect them. They keep watch over your, over your souls. Let them shepherd you. Like I said before, this has not been a comprehensive study. But for the time we had, we've covered a lot of ground. These are six expectations God has for you concerning local church commitment. Be participating, be serving, be giving, be caring, be reproving, and be submitting. And surely there are more than these six, but I think these are really at the heart of what it means to be a part of a local church, which was our question for the day. For some of you, you're on board, you're committed you're committed to the body of Christ. You love it. You're a part of it. You're actively pursuing God's expectations. You, you come early. You stay late. You're always around. And when you're here, you're helping others. You're serving. 
You reach out to other believers, even beyond Sunday morning, just trying to get involved in their lives, helping them pursue Christ. You follow the guidance and leadership of the church, and you're, you're just all around on board with what God is, is doing at this church. And I'm so thankful for people like this. It's such an encouragement to myself and others to see this. And to you, I just say, excel still more. Just keep at it. Keep pursuing the Lord and pleasing him with your local church commitment. For some, however, you might be realizing that this isn't you. What we've talked about today, it's not really you. Maybe you attend. Maybe even regularly, but that's pretty much it. You're falling short of God's expectations and design for the church. Some of you in your mind, you're making excuses already. Well, yeah, I know I don't really do this stuff, but I've got my reasons. But for others, God has perhaps softened your heart to understand that this isn't you. What should you do about it then, if this is not you? I think the best answer is just to get back to Christ. Go to Christ. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? Have you truly been saved by him? Do you understand what he did on the cross for you? And do you embrace that? Do you realize everything God has given you through Christ? If you've repented of your sins and you've turned to him in faith, God has forgiven you, reconciled you, redeemed you, adopted you, saved you, given you eternal life. You have, you have everything. And that should excite you. Jesus should excite you. True believers and true disciples love Jesus and they're, and they're passionate for him. So where's your passion gone? Like I said, get back to Jesus. And when you do, if you do that, it's going to be unavoidable. You're going to come to love the things that he loves. And like I said, he loves the church. He loves the local church. If you're sold out for him, you're going to be sold out for his church. The church is the only institution that Jesus founded. And he gave his life for it. The church is his passion. And when you follow him, it becomes your passion as well. Remember, the church is not a building. It's these people, and that's what he cares about. If you find yourself on the outside looking in, the solution, it's not to attend more. It's not to give more. It's not to do more. The solution is to get your heart right and in tune with the Savior more. When you do that, your church involvement will just take care of itself and will flourish. That's what the Lord wants, and that's what it means to be a part of the local church. I invite you to to be part of this church or any church for that matter, but just following him, serving him, and then being a part of what he's doing in these local places. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for for the church and this church, and you're gracious to us to, to have us here. And we want to serve you. We want to serve you together. You have redeemed us with your blood. You have made us a part of your body, the church, and you've given us everything. How can we not want to serve you, to know you, to enjoy you more? How can we not want to do that with one another as well? Thank you for this place that we can gather with people who call on your name and just enjoy you and one another together in the name of Christ. Pray for those here who who are on the outside looking in. They're, for whatever reason in their lives, they've just been drawn away from the church for whatever reason. I pray that nonetheless they would they would consider what you say in your word and what you expect of them if they know Christ and they would commit. Here, somewhere else, it doesn't matter. Help them to just find a solid local church 
and just get invested in the lives of others. That's what you want of us. You do not save us so that we could be on an island all by ourselves. You saved us to be in, in community, in a body with one another. Help all of us to be living that out and valuing that. It is so good. And again, I thank you for, for everyone here in this church that you've blessed us with. Bless us as we uh, go from here and proceed with our service. In your name we pray. Amen.